It's about as far west as you can get and still be in Europe. This small museum in County Clare is hosting a field trip from a local school. Quiet. All right, I'm going to tell you about the Brendan boat. Now, the reason this boat was built was because of a 9th century manuscript which told the story of how an Irishman called St. Brendan saved what we now know as North America. What the students are staring at is a 36-foot leather boat that the writer and adventurer Tim Severin sailed across the Atlantic in 1976. It was a real voyage, and he landed on the east coast of Newfoundland. A man called Tim Severin became interested in this manuscript and of the journey, because he himself did unusual journeys. The boat is a replica of one sailed by the Irish monk St. Brendan in the 6th century in search of the promised land. And he found it. But whether he sailed to Newfoundland, like Tim Severin, we don't know. In fact, we don't even know whether St. Brendan's voyage was real or a voyage of the imagination. The Promised Land of the Saints the sound of this racket, you wouldn't know but what I live in a seagull colony. It's a bit windy. What? <laughs> I might drift to Ireland. My neighbour, Jack, he lets me keep my little rowboat moored off his wharf. Probably the most easterly wharf in North America. Right smack at the entrance to St. John's Harbour. Edge of the continent. I do this just about every morning, if the weather's good. Just row out to have a look. Past the long liners and crab fishers tied up in the boat basin. The Atlantic future. The Newfoundland pride. The ocean bounty. The Atlantic quest. Names like wishes. I don't have to go very far, just past the boat basin. I can ship the oars and just stare out to sea. It must always have been like this on the edge of a continent. Like waiting for a photograph to develop. What'll it be today? A dream? A memory? A mirror just over that horizon, the promised land. It's only a little while ago I read about it in a St. Anne's book. Yeah. About St. Brendan the Navigator. Is it there now? On the day bit? Yeah. 
um, he sailed across the Atlantic or whatever, and he had a boat that was kind of like made out of some kind of skins or leather or something. It was a miracle that he even made it over here, let alone go back again. And uh, but I didn't really say. I did say. Uh, I do think it said something, but he he uh, found some islands, but. Uh, St. Brendan the Navigator. Mm. For almost a thousand years, the story of St. Brendan's journey to the Promised Land was one of the most famous and enduring stories of Western Europe. Mm. He is one of the best known of the saints of Ireland. Yeah. Okay, do you want to read this? Yeah, sure. Okay, it's not, not a big St. Brendan, therefore, when fourteen brothers out of his whole community had been chosen, spoke to them, saying, I have resolved in my heart to go in search of the promised land of the saints. How does this seem to you? They said, as if it were with one mouth, Abbot, your will is ours. So we are prepared to go along with you, to death or to life. Then St. Brendan ordered his brothers in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to enter the boat. I'm Tim Severin, and what I believe in is that this whole question of voyaging and exploration uh, depends in part only upon the technology available. In the case of the Irish monks and their voyages into the ocean, there's something else at play, which is... And, and it, it's a remarkable, a really remarkable motivation. And that is that there is somewhere out there on over the horizon in the ocean. Uh, it can be traced back into the early Irish and indeed many Western European early cultures of a land to the west, a, a promised land, the Elysian fields. This is very much part of early Irish folklore, if you like. Over the horizon, though, God could reveal somewhere absolutely wonderful. And if you had this notion that there were places over the horizon which were and sort of demi-paradise, or maybe it was a state of mind. The spiritual aspect is highly important if you regard it as a real voyage from the point of view of providing the motivation. And after all, I'm, I'm not saying, yes, they definitely got there. Uh, that would be uh, a rash thing to claim. What I'm saying is that they certainly were able to get there, and they had good reason St. Brendan then embarked. The sail was spread, and they began to steer westwards into the summer solstice. They had a favorable wind, and, apart from holding the sail, had no need to navigate. St. Brendan, monk, 6th century. Fifteen centuries later,
Alliant Directory Assistance. For what locality? Paradise. For what name? The Town Council. Thank you. Please hold. An operator will search for that information. That's for the Town Council? Uh, in Paradise. Okay, just hold it, please. The number is 7821400. Town of Paradise, fun to speak in. Hi, I wonder if you could tell me how it got its name. What, Paradise? Yeah. Oh. I do, well, I, I can't say I do know. I've read it. It's very lengthy. We have the town's history here. If you want to, to come by and pick up a copy of it. Oh, do you? Yes. Do uh, you want a copy of it? or? Yeah, sure. I could list in there how it's got its name and how our flag and the crest was designed and, and all of that. Okay. All right. All right. Now, we're open uh, Monday to Friday, 8.30 to 4.30. Okay. So if you want to stop in someday next week and pick up a copy. Okay. Okay. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. This will advance the film to the first frame, and then that's how it goes when you're out in the field. Scott Walden, photographer, 21st century. Uh... This is an excerpt from Proust. As soon as each hour of one's life has died, it embodies itself in some material object, as do the souls of the dead in certain folk stories, and hides there. There it remains captive, captive forever, unless we should happen on the object, recognize what lies within, call it by its name, and so set it free. If you're familiar with rem- Remembrance of Things Past, uh, near the very beginning of it, he bites into a tea-soaked madeleine, That brings back a flood of memories from his childhood. And I guess what Proust, it might be a bit of a stretch, but the direction in which he takes it is he likes to think of the memories as actually being embodied in the physical objects. And uh, I'm interested in the idea of um, how something um, intangible that's been lost can be represented in the photographic medium. I teach philosophy of photography, and of course one of the central questions is how you can get photography to be non-literal, how it can come to be about something more than was in front of the camera at the moment of exposure. The Promised Land of Memory So tell me about Peter. Well, it's good. We were able to get together with him. Um, He's not been feeling well lately. But, uh, sounds like he's doing well this afternoon. And, uh, I think if we make a quick trip down there now, we'll be able to, uh, sit down with him for an hour or so. I met quite a few retired fishermen who are making from memory models of the now resettled communities in which they were raised. I'm making portraits of these fellows in, in relationship to their model. Now, the models are ones that uh, don't represent the communities in any objective way. It's not as though uh, these fellows have gone back to old photographs and used those as a basis uh, for getting the measurements right and the orientation of 
one house to another or one house to a flake or a stage or something like that. Instead, what they've done is um, just relied on their memories, their subjective memories, and built the models on that basis. So I'm photographing the model makers in relationship to their models, hopefully in a way that suggests that the models are projections of the contents of their minds. It's all about memory. It's all about memory, exactly. The memory of subjectivity. After 15 days, the wind dropped. They set themselves to the oars until their strength failed. St. Brendan began to comfort them, saying, Brothers, do not fear. God is our helper, sailor, and helmsman. Just leave the sails spread out, and God will do as he wishes with his servants and their ship. The Promised Land of Arrival Alex Ransby is sailing alone from England, and he's had a little bit of trouble lately. Right now, he's got no autopilot, and he's got some damage to his sails and rigging. He's about 350 miles from St. John's and pretty tired after six days sailing without the autopilot. He's doing this voyage to raise awareness of childhood arthritis on board his boat called Hip Joint. I called him on his satellite phone a few hours ago. Alex Ransby, sailor, 21st century. Alex, what the condition are you and your vessel in now? Personally, I, I'm all right. I'm, um, I'm in quite a lot of pain with my arthritis, but the boat, uh, I got hit by a, a very big load six days ago, and my autopilot failed, which made her crash jive. I lost the top of my mainsail. Uh, and my uh, last remaining Jenny Halliard. I imagined um, so with the same arrogance of human beings throughout time that I was going to go and conquer the ocean. And I didn't. It let me cross it out of the goodness of his heart. As big as the storms were, it was so obvious that they were a tiny percentage of what it could have thrown at me if it had wanted to. Now, you have been offered help, but you haven't asked for any help, have you? No, I haven't. I am not a particularly spiritual person. I'm not at all religious. But what I found I was faced with at sea, it is so truly spectacular and so enormous and so perfect that it can't possibly be a fluke. And the one thing that science says is that everything just sort of happened, freaked set of circumstances. And there is no way that everything around us that is so perfect could possibly have just come like that. It's changed my outlook quite considerably. Bye-bye now. Happy sailing. Take care. The wind dropped and the sea coagulated. The Holy Father said, Ship the oars and loosen the sail. Wherever God wants to direct the boat, let him direct it. The boat was carried around for 20 days, and afterwards, God raised a wind favorable to them again. Okay, and look at me again. That's good, thanks. Do, do slide it down a bit. Put it on more of a tilt, if you would. Anyway. That's, that's good, perfect. And have a look at me. Good. I'm looking in the camera. That's where I want you to look. 
Yeah, yeah. They don't want to look at me. Okay. Sure, I'm probably as dirty and black as anything. <laughs> That's it. Just going to change my focus here slightly. Could you call it a three-dimensional model? I guess uh, of the little uh, uh, fishing village of, uh, of St. Joseph's, Placentia Bay. And this is where I was born. August 18th, 1948. Okay, I gotta come really close here. Yeah, that's good. Can you point to which was your house? Um, was it one of the ones facing on the cliff there? Yeah, right here. And your room was uh, <laughs> back this way, right? towards my grandmother's. Okay. My grandmother had a big potato garden over here. Yep. One day they saw an island a long distance away from them. Saint Brendan said, "Do you see that island?" They replied, "We do." My godfather lived out here, uh, going up this hill here behind uh, our house, and uh, we had a big uh, uh, store up the road here. It was called Murphy's uh, Grocery and Hardware, and my mother used to go down and, and, and buy me a, a, a dollar or a dollar twenty-five pipe, because he used to smoke the pipe, and he'd bring me out a brand new two-dollar bill. Brand new, right? <laughs> you know, just like the day it came from the bank, the, the old original $2 bills. And man, I was, uh, uh, what, uh, 13, 14 years old. Imagine what it was like then to get a brand new $2 bill. And your mother, <laughs> after buying the, buying the pipe for you to bring out to him. <laughs> the man of God began to walk round the island. Uh, he lived, uh, See those little houses right here? You can see them. It had a perfume like that of a house filled with pomegranates. These were vibrant communities at one point. People lived their lives around these physical structures. They lived in the houses and they, they fished in the waters nearby. And they attended the church and they attended the school. So all these physical items were imbued with uh, human significance. Now... As uh, the communities get resettled and as people who once lived in the communities grow old and die, that significance gets lost to us. But if it's the significance that is being depicted in these models, which I think it is, then in a very different way these people are uh, bringing back, in some sense, what it is that's being drained away. By taking physical matter and informing it with their memories, with their thoughts, they are rendering visible things that uh, otherwise would not be directly apprehendable by my camera. He returned to his brothers and said to them, disembark and refresh yourselves with the good fruits of the land that the Lord has shown us. I can uh, point to a, a section where I sat on that beach when I was six years old, five years old. I can... Uh, I can tell you a story right here where I, uh, my brother, who passed away in 94, was standing out here on a rock, and we were catching what we call Connors. And my dad had a, a dock here, with a, and they were just coming in with a load of fresh fish. And we took the hearts out of the fish, and we put it on a fish hook. And, he, and my brother got out on this rock here, 
say right here somewhere. And he said, now when I get out on the rock, you throw me out the pole. I tossed the pole out to him. The hook hooked in my finger, went right in around the bone, come out through here. My father come running because he see the heart hanging off of the, the fish hook and thought it was my finger. Right? That's a memory that I'll never forget. <clears throat> right there. Uh, the same day, my first cousin right here had flies in his uh, in his cap, and he was swatting away the the, uh, the real flies. He had fishing flies in his cap that he made himself for catching salmon and that, and he was swatting away the bugs, and he hooked one into his ear, and my father took him down here in his father's building, put him up against the door facing, and filed off the hook. And I can remember that because he said, Uncle Am, Uncle Am, the hook is getting hot, my ear is burning. I can remember that. I was about six years old. Well, he said, your ear is going to burn till I get this hook filed off. <laughs> and he done the same to my finger. <laughs> so that's two good memories right there. How did it, how and when did it all happen? Mm. Well, let's see, I... I, I... A gather resettlement happened in three phases, starting in the early 1950s. Uh, small communities isolated along the coastline, so they would never have had roads put into them, for example. All travel in and out would have been by boat. Um, and uh, the feeling on the part of uh, first the provincial and then later both the provincial and federal governments felt it would be better for them to move to centralized growth centers, what they called growth centers, where they could get access to more cosmopolitan uh, amenity schools and hospitals and so forth. The bulk of the resettlement happened in the 1960s, and that affected dramatically Placentia Bay and uh, Trinity Bay and uh, Fortune Bay, those regions. How many communities were, were disappeared? Um, almost 300 were closed down and over just over 30,000 people, according to official counts. It, it was a big program. I'd say, I mean, in terms of numbers, it is, I believe, the largest in Canadian history. And there's the expulsion of the Acadians, which I believe numbered approximately 17,000 individuals. Now, of course, it's hard to compare these. I'm, I'm just talking in, in sheer numerical terms. And, you know, there's different forms of coercion. When did this place disappear? Uh, probably in the, in the late 60s. Hmm. 66 is when uh, uh, Joey had done the resettlement, I think, was it? 1966. Finished the drive in 65 and resettled it all in 66. That's what Joey done. When these days were over, St. Brendan ordered his brothers to load the boat. When all was loaded into the boat, they raised the sail again and set off once more. Hi, I called a little while ago. Okay. And I forgot to ask, how do I get to Paradise? Okay, are you coming from St. John's? Or? I would, I guess so. Let me see, from downtown St. John's. Um, What's the easiest way to get to Paradise? All I right, guess. just one second now. If dreams 
the promised land of place names. If dreams come true. Wayne Johnson, novelist. You know, um, how we see the place shapes the names that we give it. There are place names like Heart's Content and Heart's Desire and Little Heart's Ease. And then you see on the signpost of a house, uh, you know, uh, the, you know the, the, the Golden Gates or something. Um, everyone likes to feel like they have a little, uh, you know, part of paradise in their lives. Hello? Hello. You know how to get onto the Harbor Arterial? Yes. Downtown. Okay, we'll come to Harbor Arterial. There's a ramp. Take that off ramp. You're on top of the road then. Am I in paradise yet? Yeah, you're in paradise then. And we're just past ACAM windows. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. You know, a place is found and it's unbuilt upon and unwalked upon. And then a place develops there. And initially, all hopes are, are good. You know, people have kind of utopian dreams for the place. And it partly had taken on before they even got here that kind of mythic dimension in their mind. And since they knew nothing about it, the best they could do was draw parallels between this as yet undiscovered place and this uh, unreal, but uh, you know, in non-figurative terms, uh, but real in the sense of the mind. So yeah, they compared it to places like like Avalon and like Paradise. Um, but I think also there's the name itself was, you know, meant to have a kind of magic to it, almost as though the people who named it were hoping to make the place be what they named it simply by naming it that. But those, you know, I mean, places of the imagination are probably uh, more powerful than the, than the real ones. I mean, you know, Avalon, that's always fascinated me. And because my father's name is Arthur, Arthur Reginald, and he lived, you know, on the Avalon Peninsula. And in the Arthurian legend, Avalon is the place of legend of the afterlife, place of reward. And, the, and that's sort of wishful thinking. When, when it comes to what people wanted Newfoundland to be. But that never goes away. You know, language kind of makes things real. Come true. Alex, where are you now? Uh, I, well, my position is um, about 25 miles southeast of Cape Race. So would you say, are you making good progress now? Uh, it's all relative, I guess. It's hardly paradise. No, it's the most inhospitable, frightening piece of coastline I've ever sailed up in my life. And you've only got to go 100 yards offshore, and it's freezing bloody cold and miserable. But if, if you look at people who moved here, who sailed here, ever since Cabot in, was it 1450 or something, if I was on a ship with the sort of navigation that they had and the sort of food that they had, then they must have been elated to get here. And so they could have arrived anywhere and it would have been paradise. And as a result, you have something here which we don't have in England. You have a deep love of your country or of your region, a connection with it. And I'm sure it's because that's how people came here and 
as a result, everybody's grateful to be here. Because if it wasn't their father, it was their grandfather or their great-grandfather. And so none of it's very far away. One day, when they had celebrated their masses, a pillar in the sea appeared to them. It was higher than the sky. It had the color of silver and was harder than marble. The pillar was of bright crystal. He's a matter of yards away from a 10,000-year-old iceberg, potentially calved from a, a Greenland glacier. They feel humbled in the, in, in the face of it, right? It's just, this is way larger than I am, and, you know, and that's what we want to convey here in these images. I'm Des Ryan, a senior copywriter with the Bristol Group. I'm Andrea Peddle. I'm the manager of advertising and communications with the Department of Tourism, Culture, and Recreation. The promised land of tourism. Beyond the shore, there's a place where nature only comes in one size. A place where whales and icebergs cross paths. Newfoundland and Labrador. Okay, years ago, Newfoundland and Labrador, when we first started seriously marketing Newfoundland and Labrador as a tourism destination, there was always this perception of Newfoundland being... Uh, rural, small, desolate, alone, desperate, maybe, is some of the connotations. And so one of the things that we wanted to do is change and dispel those um, images and ideas and just actually talk to people about what we are. What is it that is unique, different, and compelling in this destination that will drive people here? And one of the things is icebergs and whales and they cross path. That is then... Um, representative of the province as a whole. Those are the things that we're talking about. That, and we use those as calling as icons. They're the, the USP, the unique selling propositions, if you want to coin a marketing term, that we have here, that this makes this the only place that you can experience that. Here the land is still untamed, its beauty undiscovered, unexplored and unimaginable. What is the promised land that you want tourists to find? I want you to see a place that's bigger than life, larger than life, full of colour and vibrancy and... um, It's just awe-inspiring. It's a big, beautiful encounter with nature and people that you're just not going to find anywhere else it's bright it's bright lively vivacious active edgy enthusiastic but charming and simple they then sailed throughout the whole day near one side of the crystal pillar St. Brendan said Our Lord Jesus Christ has shown us this wonder so that the wonder be manifested to many in order that they may believe. It is a dream. It is a fantasy. 
They're 30 to 40 words, which takes about 16 seconds to say out of a 30-second ad. There's an underwater shot of two whales coming up to the surface. Then we move into our huge shot of a helicopter shot of an iceberg. We go over the top of that to establish the other icon. And then we come to an end scene that includes the kayaker, the whale, and the iceberg in that ad. It's uh, it's what's done. The most easterly point in North America, Newfoundland and Labrador. So how successful is is this image of Newfoundland that that you're making? Is it the promised land for tourists? We think it is. Of course it is. Um, Well, all we can say right now is visitation has grown substantially since... uh, uh, 1997, and we are our growth is outpacing many of our other competitors. So yes, I believe it's working. The coast of Newfoundland was once home to thousands of fishermen who, for centuries, habitated a patchwork of tiny communities that clung to craggy rocks and nestled in the snug coves and bays that offered safe harbor and ready access to the cod stocks of the North Atlantic. Though seemingly frozen in time, time finally overtook this simple way of life in the 1960s. In an effort to consolidate public works and services, thousands of these tiny communities were resettled. Abandoned now, except for the seagulls and a few fishermen who return each summer, they remain alive in memories of another time, another way of life. But others are returning too coming to explore the history and experience the culture and traditional way of life of the people who once called these communities home. Island Rendezvous makes it possible for you to visit and explore one of the most beautiful areas in eastern Newfoundland. And, uh, and another, uh, another memory I have of right here is, uh, is flat on this model. But actually, it was a downgrade of, a, of about, say, I don't know, 45 or 50 degrees. And my brother was the only guy in this little community who had a bike. And he was driving out this road here one evening. And one of the sheep came out of the woods. And to keep from hitting the sheep, that's how important the animals were. He crashed his bike into a big old load of rocks. And he skinned out his arms and his elbows and his back. I can remember it as plain as anything. He came running down to the house, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, right? What happened to you? What happened to you? Blood running out of him and everything. I almost ran into one of the sheep, so I had to crash the bike. And it was an old bike that my father had brought from Loonberg somewhere and patched up, and, you know, and there was the only one in the community. Okay, i got to come really close here. I wish that uh, the government never had to resettle all those communities because... We would have grew up in those communities, and I mean, I wish they didn't have, uh, I wish the resettlement didn't have to come around. The scenic walk reveals prominent local landmarks, serene landscapes, dotted with the ruins of once prominent buildings and houses, and glimpses of the beautiful coastline and the resettled communities which were once home to over 400 people. Today, there is only one permanent residence. As the evening drew on, a great fog enveloped them. 
The steward said to St. Brendan, that fog encircles the island for which you have been searching for seven years. Good. How long's the trip? 55 miles. The ferry takes 55 minutes to reach the island. And after the space of an hour, a mighty light shone all around them, and the boat rested on the shore. St. Brendan's, Bonavista Bay, 21st century. What's it called? St. Brendan's Island. These are the words of you. St. Brendan's Island I see you smiling You're the jewel upon a best of You taught me things as I grew up About life and love and not to give up Your memories will stay with me This could very well be the island that uh, St. Brendan probably found, because he found some islands. So, and this one that we live on being the bit largest in Bonavista Bay, well then, you know, it's probably one of the easiest ones to find, seeing as the largest. And, uh, and we're open to the ocean. So once you go past that island there, that island there, yeah. the next land then, I guess, is Europe. So... So if you were coming over, it's quite likely that you could. It's strike, quite likely. You could strike in there. So it kind of gives like a support to that. That Saint Brendan probably did find these islands over here. Mm-hmm. Makes a, makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's, it's it's as good a story as anybody's got. What is it? This, what's so special about Saint Brendan's? Well. I don't know, I guess when you live, you have to live here to realise it, like uh, you're kind of free and you're independent and I'm, I'm self-employed, I'm a fisherman and and uh, you can go to bed at night without locking your door and you don't have to lock your car, you can know everybody, everybody's your friend, everybody you see you speak to, uh, you go in a city, uh, it seems like people just look the other way when they see another person, they don't want everything and uh, we're not used to that kind of life. But maybe in a city, if you knocked on someone's door, they probably wouldn't even ask you for a glass of cold water. Mm. On disembarking from the boat, they saw a wide land full of trees bearing fruit. They took what fruit they wanted and drank from the wells. And so they walked through the whole land and could not find the end of it. There was a fellow here a few years ago, Mm. and he interviewed us here. Is that the, that's the article there? It's the article here. This is me, look. Yeah. Picture me in my boat. Patrick Kelly, 25, is the only one of 10 ch- Kelly children who's chosen to follow in his father's footsteps and fish. If I won a million dollars, I'd still be out there fishing in my boat next year, he says cheerfully. And cheerfully, I mean, because that is from the bottom of my heart. Money, money is good, but it's not everything in the world to me. I'd like to have a little bit of peace of, peace of mind, too. A youth appeared to them and embraced them with great joy, saying to St. Brendan, Behold, the promised land for which you have sought for a long time. Uh, yeah. uh, it says here, look, people who want facilities like hockey arenas, movie theaters, or gourmet restaurants, restaurants, 
won't appreciate St. Brendan's. But for those who put a big priority on peace of mind and trusting their neighbours, it's a wonderful place to be. Uh, although St. Brendan's is very much part of Canada, its singular way of life and history make it seem like another country. Yeah. We got satellite dishes to know, let us know what's going on in the outside world, but most of it is bad news, so <laughs> you can live with it, you can live without it. Yeah. Now, this is it. See, look. Many isolated Newfoundland communities relocated where schools, roads and other services were more widely available. But whether through sheer Irish mule-headedness, tenacity or love of the land, many of the, Saint Brin- many of the people of St. Brendan's stayed. Uh, St. Brendan's still survives. The island has electricity, gravel roads, a regular ferry service to Burnside on the mainland, a community centre, a clinic where a doctor visits every two weeks, a far hall and a post office. Yeah. That's not too bad. That's what you need. Yeah, we have the basic things we need to live, and uh, I don't even know if they're basic, this, sometimes it's enough. Yeah. It's been about five and a half weeks coming, and it's kind of miraculous in and of itself. Alex Ransby has finally made it into port, and here's what the welcoming sounded like. Return then to the land of your birth, bringing with you some of the fruit of this land and as many of the precious stones as your boat can carry. And just as this land appears to you ripe with fruit, so shall it always remain without any shadow of night. If you could never come back here again, what would you, know, what oh. would, what would you carry with you? Like? Oh my God. I guess this is the freedom that's here, or something, the peacefulness. I don't know, I can't put my finger on it just like that. But to go away and never come back, oh my, it'd be terrible. Now on our way back, okay, I'll go first, we're going along the woodland walk, and on your left, hopefully if they're out, you'll see wild boar. In the County Clare Museum, the lecture is over and it's time for the students to leave. Clutching their notes about a leather boat, an Irish monk, and a dream of paradise. Good morning, Town of Paradise. Ravi speaking. Hi, um, I was going to come out and pick up your information about paradise. Oh, yes, yeah. And I'm not going to be able to make it out. I'm wondering if you could fax it to me or put it in the mail to me. Okay, I'll put one in the mail for you. Okay, thanks very much. All right, bye. Dreams come true. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.